Good evening and welcome to Resistance TV. It's Wednesday at 7pm and it's the 27th of July, so welcome to you all in the chat. My name is Sean and I'm going to be joining you in the chat room this evening and we have a, a, a special programme tonight with um, a ghost, uh, sorry, a guest host, a ghost, a guest host, um, Mandy Clare, who's going to be talking to Rona Hodgkiss about um, does sex matter? So Mandy's going to give an introduction in a second and tell you a little bit more about what tonight's debate is going to be about. So I hope you will all enjoy um, this evening's broadcast and also join in with the chat and the debate. We will be asking questions, asking for your questions towards the end of the show and I'll be putting them to both Mandy and Rona. I would ask that if everybody could be kind in the chat, be respectful, um, because this is a controversial subject that we are discussing this evening. And um, we, we want to be as kind and respectful um, to people as we possibly can. Um, so I'd like to welcome Mandy Clare. Hi, Mandy. Um, Hi, would you like to give your introduction? And I shall speak to you a little bit later on. Okay, thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. Um, I'm Mandy Clare. I'm an uh, independent ex-Labour councillor and a member of the Resist uh, Steering Committee. Um, and we're going to be talking tonight with Rona Hotchkiss, who is an ex-prison um, governor um, with insight into the issues around sex and differences between men and women in terms of offending, uh, crime, uh, trauma, experiences of abuse and so on within the prison estate um, and also um, knowledge about the differences between the Scottish context and policy context and also the wider UK policy context. Um, so just for context, um, anyone who sort of isn't aware, um, men who identify as women, some of whom have convictions for violent and sexual offences against women and or children, can be, and in a number of cases are right now, housed alongside women within the female prison estate. Uh, so the women um, have mostly had histories of having been terrorised by men in their lives, um, usually from low-income backgrounds, and been terrorised by the dads, the stepdads, the brothers, the uncles, the partners, the ex-partners, etc., within their lives. And they've had no choice, really, in these policy decisions that have been made um, around changes to their single-sex provision within prisons. Um, and from a socialist perspective, we can probably all easily understand that women in prisons are arguably the most disempowered and badly let down people at the margins of the unfair and classist society that we sadly inhabit. Um, so as socialists, it's our job to ensure that their experiences and voices are heard and considered. Um, and I think a good question to sort of hold in our minds as we go through this discussion tonight and hear from Rona is, can a culture of no debate or silencing ever be kind um, or socialist within that, that, that kind of context? So um, if I could welcome Rona in. Hi, Rona. Um, are you unmuted? Hiya. I'm unmuted, definitely. <laughs> Fab. Fab, 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 you're here. Um, so thank you so much for agreeing to come on tonight. I know that you've spoken at length about this subject, you know, on various different platforms over the last couple of years. Um, but for a lot of people watching, 
I don't think many people on the left really have had much exposure to proper evidence-based, in-depth, fair discussion um, of the issues. So just sort of as an intro, would you mind sort of giving us a bit of background about yourself, about how you became aware of this issue and how it's affected officers, yourself within the prison service and also women um, and, and people who identify as trans? Okay, so yep, I was a prison, I worked in the prison service for 10 years as deputy governor and governor in charge. Um, I started out my working life as a nurse, but a very circuitous route to where I, I got to being a, a prison governor. But um, so I was governor in charge of three different prisons, two of them held women. And while I was there, in fact, before I went to a women's prison, in the first prison I was in, um, we had a uh, trans identifying male or trans women, whatever you want to call them, I'll call them trans identifying males, um, brought into the male prison where I was the deputy governor. And at that time, I was absolutely horrified. I thought this was an appalling thing to do and immediately arranged for the transfer of this person to the women's prison um, because I thought it was the right thing to do. I thought it was a, a progressive way to react. I thought it was kind, all of these kind of things. Scroll forward a few years and I'm starting to understand what the whole argument is is about around single sex spaces. And my um, response to that um, changes dramatically um, because the more I come across this issue in prisons, the more I realise it's extremely complex. Um, so, for example, I met a trans-identified male in, in a women's prison um, who we had to put in a separation unit because they were threatening to rape vulnerable women and female staff if we didn't move them back to the male estate because they changed their mind again and that person changed their mind frequently demanded to get moved between places and that for me highlighted the absurdity of this whole thing that someone's feelings can trump the law it can trump evidence and it can trump other people's feelings as well so, I mean, we'll probably want to go into it in a bit more depth, but um, yes, my experience is that uh, trans-identified males are always an issue in women's prisons. Even if they don't threaten violence or, or sexual violence, which they sometimes do, the very fact that they're there, and it's an act of gaslighting when the staff have to say to a woman, no, you're wrong, that's not a man, it's a woman. And as you mentioned there in, in the intro, and, and I think Shan did as well, the women in prison are probably among the most traumatised and abused um, sub-demographic, if you like, already coming from the poverty demographic, but there's another division within that where the vast majority of women in prison have suffered violence at the hands of males, and not just once, repeatedly. And you, someone said as well, you know, brothers, husbands, partners, uh, men in the street, uh, even um, if they're prostituted women, um, the, the men who use them. So that's that's the kind of backdrop for all of this. It's a space that women can't get out of. Um, these are mostly poor women, disadvantaged women, uh, largely uneducated, not stupid, but uneducated. They have no voice and the current system is stamping on what little voice they have. That's 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 the way I, I see it, the way I have experienced it as well. I've I've heard you say before as well that this isn't to say that all people who have gender or particularly all men who have gender dysphoria are fit that profile of someone who's yeah. going to abuse 
no. women. But I've also heard you say that this kind of blanket acceptance that men can change sex yeah. um, means that there's no no way of us filtering. <laughs> there's no way of us filtering out people that, yeah. that yeah. do. And then on the other side of that, there's a lot of discussion around the vulnerability of people who are trans. You know, mm -hmm. um, we hear that they're more likely to commit suicide or they're more likely to suffer mental health problems. Uh, they're more likely to be verbally abused or assaulted or whatever. And we don't hear very much at all about the vulnerability of the, the women um, within the situations that you've described. I mean, I'm I'm someone who I've managed a domestic abuse project, so it's unusual in the sense that I have had a lot of training and awareness raising um, in my life about the specific nature of um, violence and domestic violence and how that the patterns of behaviour and the coercion and all of that kind of thing and the traumatisation, the risk of being killed, etc. It's very, very different for women um, than it is for men in general. Um, so I just, just to sort of make that point really as well, that we're not saying that this is all people who have gender dysphoria, but that within prisons, your experience has been that women have had have been exposed to uh, really harmful behaviours from the people who yeah, are saying that that, that yeah. they identify as, as women. Yeah, you raised you raised several points there, Mandy Claire, and I think it's it's worthwhile maybe um, speaking a little bit about them. So I am not, and no one I know is suggesting that all trans people pose a threat to women's safety or sexual well-being. Um, Trans-identified men are a subset of men. They're no different to men and their offending patterns are the same as men and continue to be the same as men after they transition. Therefore, they represent the same level of threat or not as any other group of men. Now, if we don't um, believe that just any old men should be allowed into the women's estate, it's just counter-rational uh, to, to think that all trans-identified men should. The other thing that you raised there, and I think this is right, is that um, Stonewall's slogan is acceptance without exception. And that means that you can never, ever question whether someone is really, and I won't say really trans, but really has gender dysphoria. Well, first of all, it's widely accepted in trans circles. Now, you don't have to have gender dysphoria to be trans, which is utterly bizarre. Um, but you don't have to have gender dysphoria. You can just declare yourself trans. Um, Interestingly, in prisons, the vast majority of people who identify as trans in prison did not identify as that before they came in or before they were arrested or committed their crime. But you're not allowed to question that. According to Stonewall, we'll just accept that this person has just come out as trans. It just happens to be when they were brought into prison. So that's a difficult one. You you mentioned the, the, the suicide statistic there. The 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 evidence about suicide is very very shaky indeed that whole thing was built on one really dodgy survey where i think it was something like 22 um trans people self-reporting said, uh, said that it showed a higher um rate of suicidal ideation than non-trans people but 22 is not a valid sample and self-reporting is not the best way to do this um, you raised another point there uh, about the vulnerability. I think of trans people. You might have you might have raised that point. Yeah. Um, they're 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 undoubtedly um, a vulnerable group. But if we think particularly to the prison situation, there are many many vulnerable groups of men within prisons. So, for example, 
um, ex-police and prison officers are at risk. Um, people who have spoken against um, serious and organised crime groups, people who are police informers, um, sex offenders, people who have offended against old ladies and children in a vast manner of ways, gay men, all of these subsets of men are at increased risk and the prison service recognises that and it keeps them in separate units and offers them extra protection. Nobody but nobody is suggesting that all these subsets of men should be located in the women's estate. So it's illogical to suggest that because someone identifies as a woman, you would automatically move them to the women's estate. The situations yeah. are slightly different in um, England and Wales from Scotland because Scotland has a different set of legislation and prison rules and so on. So um, Scotland has been a little bit better at um, not allowing um, self-identified trans people into the women's estate. However, with the introduction of the Gender Recognition Act in Scotland, which the Scottish Government are continuing to push through despite opposition, I think that will all crumble because for, if for almost all intents and purposes, self-declaration means you are legally the opposite sex, then I don't think the prison service will be able to stop these men demanding to go to the women's estate. Hmm. So the situation in terms of the law, because from sort of having worked with within um, the area of domestic abuse and, and supporting families in vulnerable situations, my, my awareness always was that Scotland was way ahead of us. It was always more, much more progressive in terms of its awareness of harms to women and patterns of offending and how it how how male violence towards women and abuse towards women really differs an awful lot in nature um, than women's uh, violence and abuse of men. So so. Where so so Scotland is actually um, behind us because we've we've got the GRA um, gender recognition we've got we've got gender recognition certificates within yeah so Scot yeah. Scotland has that as well what Scotland yeah. is trying to introduce is what um, the government in England has ruled out right so yeah. depends whether you think that's progressive or not I don't so it looks as though Scotland will introduce um, gender recognition after a process of uh, nothing more than, than saying you are. So three yeah. months after you apply to the, the registrar's office, they go stamp, stamp, yes, you are, there you go. You were born a man, but now you're a woman. Um, okay. And the government at Westminster has rejected that for the time being. So yes. that depends on whether you think that's progressive or not. But you're right, um, for many years, um, Scotland was ahead of the curve. So they were first to introduce zero tolerance and all of this kind of thing. But the whole trans, well, I was going to say debate, but it's a lack of debate, has just yeah. derailed that entire thing. So it's all of our knowledge that's been built up over all of that time about the nature of violence against women yeah. and how that's specific, specific to women as a sex class yeah. has sort yeah. of Absolutely. disintegrated. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Really the, the, whole, the whole notion of uh, women as a sex class has disappeared. It has been um, swept under the carpet or just erased mm -hmm. while at the same time the supposed left accuses uh the sort of gender critical movement of being right wing it is the most bizarre thing so they have overnight almost erased the whole notion of women as a sex class and what they have done instead is to introduce this notion that the progressive thing is to forget that it's, it's a bizarre thing to watch when you've always been um, it is. on the left to see yeah. this 
really strange turnaround. It's also, I think, um, given carte blanche to the, the, the wide streak of misogyny that has always been there on the left, I'm afraid. It's, it's everywhere, but it's always been in the left. But it's given that carte blanche to raise its ugly head and for misogynistic men to start screaming abuse at women, to start threatening them with rape and death and, you know, and telling them they're witches, bitches, cunts, tears, the whole thing. And it's been really, really ugly to watch. Um, yeah. men, men who you thought were political allies have just, oh my God, it's, it's, it's so horrible. Mm. I, I agree. So the Ministry of Justice and the Prisons and Probation Service um, policy framework was written in two, uh, 2019 and it came into force in 2020. Um, and if you have a GRC, and it says that if you have a GRC, Gender Recognition Certificate, which you can have in Scotland, you can have in England as well, you must be housed within the female estate, regardless of whatever your crime is, regardless of whatever your anatomy is. But for me, the most shocking thing, regardless of what impact that's going to have on the women in terms of their mental health, in terms of their rehabilitation and their recovery from the abuse that they've experienced and how safe they feel day to day, but also their freedom to be able to express their beliefs because nobody is legally obligated to believe that someone can change sex from being male to female. So like you say, it's like women's rights as a sex class have been completely discarded and we're being told that we're not kind for, for, for excuse me, you forgot about us you know but that's considered that's been labeled as unkind even trying to discuss what's happened there the situation in scotland is slightly different at the moment the scottish prison service are not obliged to put anyone into the female right. estate so if you've got gender recognition certificate or not they're not but that's the situation i think will change but what you're saying is is exactly right mandy claire there was a, a, a case i think almost two years ago now where a, an ex um prisoner women prisoner in england took the ministry of justice to court so separate separate uh, structures in scotland and this only applies to england and wales and um in ruling against her the judge who heard that case said he understood and accepted that it could and would cause women re-traumatization and distress and so on to put a male-bodied person in beside them but that was just too bad that was basically yeah. the, the the outcome of it um, mm -hmm. There's been next to no research done with women in prison, except for a, a three-part research project that was done in the Scottish Prison Service uh, almost three years ago now. And it looked at the experiences of trans-identified people. It looked at the experience of women in prison. And it looked at the experiences of staff. Now, apart from being an appallingly bad piece of research, it showed up things that I don't think the researcher wanted it to show because it showed that 80% of the women in prison that they spoke to had concerns about this, ranging from the more minor to the very, very severe. So the vast majority of women know that those are not actually women that are in beside them, and they have concerns about it. Um, we, have, we hear stories of women being intimidated, threatened, um, sexual, uh, sexual intimidation happening and so on. Um, so it's it's awful, and the the real one apart from the women's perspective, one of the really distressing perspectives for me was the paper that was written about prison officers. Now, the vast majority of prison staff are ordinary working class people, you know, um, good people, most of them, not all of them, but good people, most of them, and this paper just trashed them. It said that if they had 
attitudes which were not entirely accepting of the concept of having trans identified males in women's prisons. It was because the the staff were dinosaurs, they were uneducated, they were ignorant. It was absolutely a disgusting, disgusting way to treat uh, working class people um, by a absolutely middle class researcher. It was, it was, if it wasn't so tragic, it would have been comic. This is mad, isn't it? I'm just, as socialists, um, I mean, I don't know how you identify politically but you know within yeah. resist we're, we're socialists within the labor party people are supposed to be socialists um on the left in general people are supposed to be socialists and all of these people who we've admired and looked up to including women including women you know mps ex-mps who've claimed to be on the side of working class people have no apparent feeling for the women or the working class staff who are being forced to go along with what um what is what is turning out to be a disastrous policy in terms of women's rights and it might not even be um particularly healthy for those with gender dysphoria either i mean what do what do you think because um we're talking about the vulnerability of people with gender dysphoria so and we know that we know that you know you gave you gave the example that all of the um, trans prisoners, um, with whilst you were working there, is this right? I'm saying this right, but they were they all transitioned after they'd been convicted. The hand uh, at that point. I think apart from apart from two, I think that okay. that, that 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 would be accurate. Can I just want to say something though about the vulnerability of trans people? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of nonsense talked about this as well. I'm I'm not disputing the fact that if you put a man who's dressed in women's clothing and wearing makeup and but still obviously male in a in a, in a unit of men, they probably would have a hard time. Not not disputing that at all. But this narrative of the most oppressed, the most vulnerable people in society being trans-identified males is just so far from the truth that's unbelievable. In fact, there's evidence to suggest that trans people are the safest demographic in the UK. And when they do things in Parliament like the Trans Day of Remembrance, you'll note that they don't ever read out any names because there are none to read out in this country. There has not been a trans person murdered in this country for years. It's And, and good, we should be celebrating that. We should be delighted that trans yeah. people are relatively safe in this country, but you're not allowed to counter the dominant narrative here. Um, the other thing that occurs to me, Mandy Clare, is, and you've you've alluded to this as well, that the people who are most enthusiastically pushing this through are the ones who have the least to lose because they're not in the kind of position where they can't get away from situations where they're going to be forced to live closely with or associate with or whatever um, trans-identified males who may or may not pose a risk. So most of these people are never going to be in prison because, as we know, yeah. there's a, a huge causal link between poverty and imprisonment, and most of these people will never suffer that. They don't have to use public toilets and all this kind of nonsense. So again, the people suffering most from this are the people at the bottom of the heap, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah, that's yeah. working-class women. Yeah, and that, as socialists, that's what we're supposed to be all about, is making sure that the voices and the experience of those at the bottom of the heap who've got no political platform whatsoever, even within the left, even within the Labour Party, that their experience and voices count um, and they're elevated, really. It should be one of the most important voices that we strive to hear and, and, and take account of. I agree, and I think the, the, the distressing thing to watch is that 
There are legions of people on the left who uh, are very, very concerned about this. But A, they've either spoken up and been trashed and told they're now fascists, or B, they're terrified to speak because they see what happens when you do speak. So because nobody gets cancelled if they're pro-gender ideology, it makes it look as though the vast, vast majority of people are absolutely fine with this Mm -hmm. because they've so effectively quelled the opposition and stifled debate. In fact, no debate is the mantra. So no no debates to be allowed. Or if you do want to raise issues or concerns or facts even, you're a transphobe, you're a hater, you're this and you're that. And it's been a really effective way to shut down debate and discussion. Yeah. So um, I I was looking up some statistics and um, I discussed this with you a little bit as well. So we're thinking sort of around about 80 percent of men within prisons will have been convicted with some level of violence involved in their offence, whether it's sexual violence or general violence. And the equivalent for women would be sort of 20 to 30 percent. And um, some of the statistics, let me have a look what I've got. So it's about 3 percent of all sexual offences are uh, committed by women so just just three percent thereabouts so 97 percent of sexual offenses are committed by men so and it's you know if we're looking at domestic abuse as well the comparison between women uh, who've been murdered you know as a result of intimate partner relationship or ex-partner compared to men you kind of it's off the scale there as well so we live within a misogynistic sexist society and all of the decisions that are made around um women's safety women's trauma all of those kind of things i just assumed always took into account these statistics this evidence you know this kind of thing that tells us that women are generally much 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 less infinitesimally less violent than men um the types of violence are completely different as well there have been sort of risk factors risk assessment tools developed looking at um you know, analyses after women and men have been murdered by their intimate partner and looking at the kind of differences and what the red flags are. And they tend to be male behaviours. And when women are killing men, A, it's very rare. And B, there's usually something like bipolar disorder or something like that involved. There's not been a long, um, you know, uh, a long sort of story of coercion and terrorism and isolating them and, you know, gaslighting them and um, and all the rest and rubbishing them publicly and all of that kind of thing. So, it's kind of, um, to me, amazing that we've got this situation where if you've got a GRC in the UK, you must be housed within the female estate. If you've got no GRC, uh, other than in Scotland, and if you've got no GRC, you still may be housed within the female prison estate. So what's the answer? Um, could, could there be a, because I know you've discussed this before, would it work if we had a specialised service for people who have gender dysphoria? Mm-hmm. That well, remember, remember that um, a lot of people now don't have gender dysphoria, so I think it's more correct to say who identify as trans because you're meeting an awful lot of people that don't have gender dysphoria. So yes, I, I think that's the only sensible way to proceed. I think we have to have third spaces, but then I think we need thir- third spaces across um, society. So you have uh, women only spaces, men only spaces, and then spaces that anyone can go to. The difficulty with that, of course, is that uh, trans extremists don't want that and they will resist that because they want to be fully integrated as the gender or sex they, they believe themselves to be. So that's that that's going to cause enormous issues there. But for me, it's the only sensible uh, way to approach this because you couldn't be so 
callous or, or overtly callous as to just say, no, no, you'll all have to stay in the male estate. Yeah, you can wear dresses and makeup, but you just need to take your chances. That would be no more right than saying to, I don't know, informers or whoever they might be, well, I know you're at greater risk, but you'll just have to stay there. So the only sensible way, I think, is to have um, third space units within the prison service. Um, it would, wouldn't be a, a big issue in England because the prison population is so big. It would be more of an issue in Scotland, but not immensely, because at any time there's around about 15 or 18 people identifying mm -hmm. as the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. So within that, would you then have to segregate it further so that women who identify as men would be in a separate space so that they are safe from men um yeah this is where it gets <laughs> and the best way the best way i think to look at this is the 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 relative difference in who you're concerned about so when a trans identifying male has been assessed for the risk if you send them to a women's unit the risk is all taken on by the female prisoners the other way around is the opposite. So if you're assessing a woman who believes she's a man to see if there's if about them going to a male unit, it's the individual safety you're concerned about. So there's there's the the practicality there that underlies the nonsense about um, male and female offending. So trans women pose a risk to female prisoners. Trans males are at risk in the male estate, and that's that's the big big difference. Mm -hmm. Um, sorry, on you go. Yes. Uh, so, um, yeah, I was just thinking about that again. So, uh, some more statistics: over over thirty percent um, of women within the prison estate have a history of sexual violence. Almost sixty percent have a history of domestic abuse, and sixty five percent have um, trauma. Have they have traumatic brain injury of yes. some kind through yes. having experienced abuse, mostly at the hands of men? Vast majority of that hands of men. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised um, at that lower figure you stated there, Mandy. I think it's much higher than that. I, I think yeah. it's much higher than that. Yeah. I would. I would hazard a guess that it would be about two-thirds of women who've experienced some kind of sexual violence, sexual abuse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So given that, because that, that's, that doesn't translate across to the men's estate, um, and we haven't probably got enough data, have we, around the trans uh, cohort, but if given that, has the Ministry of Justice and the Prisons and Probation Service, have they, have they potentially stepped outside of the law because they've not taken into consideration these particular um, characteristics of the female population and these particular vulnerabilities of the female population as well? Is, is that legal, what they've done? Well, it's, it's legal in part. So um, certainly in Scotland, and I think in England and Wales as well, the prison rules, which are the, the statutory instruments that govern how you treat people in prison, explicitly say that the sexes must not be mixed. In fact, it says male and female must be held in separate accommodation. So the, you could you could have a challenge there, but given the precedent set down by that judge in England who said, yeah, 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 it's terrible, but too bad, what else can we do? Um, I wouldn't hold out much hope for anyone taking that as a legal case. Okay. I mean, if someone has a GRC as well, a gender recognition certificate, does that mean that it's now not legal once they've got that for anybody to kind of ask them or, or refer to so, them as a, as, a, as yeah. the sex it's, they were born as? Or. It's terribly mixed up. So that is the proposal in Scotland. It hasn't gone quite that far in England. So the, the, what the, the trans activists don't tell you is that um, other 
um, minorities still have protection under the 2010 Equality Act. And under that act, uh, gender um, is not mentioned, it's, it's gender reassignment, but um, single sex space does still have protection to discriminate against trans people under that act. Um, However, that's why I think in Scotland it's going to come down to test cases to um, to prove that in court or not. And just just before we move on from this, be kind sort of thing. Yeah. Are we just being mean? Can you give us some more examples of the kinds of things that you've seen women experience when um, yeah. people who identify as trans have been and who are male have been admitted into the female estate? Well, not in my experience, but the very obvious one is the um, example of the prisoner cat who said who identified as Karen White in England who within hours of being, and this was a person who had a history of sexual offending against women, within hours of being put into the female estate had sexually assaulted, I think, three women. So that's a, that's a real live example. Um, in Scotland, in my experience, what I saw was um, trans-identified males behaving in explicitly sexual um, fashion. So one that I've spoken about is a, a trans-identified male who'd been in prison for many, many years before they decided that they were they were trans and took delight in parading around the women's unit in very, very tight leggings with an obvious erection to the utter horror of the women around him. And when the women complained to staff, they were told that there was nothing they could do because that was a woman. There was one uh, distressing experience um, where a, a long-term um, female prisoner that I knew very well had came off the wagon in a really big way. She'd been stable. She was a mentor for other women and so on. And um, she started using drugs again and I, I couldn't understand it. I went to speak to her after everything had calmed down and she said, I had an argument with this person, she said, can I say he? And I said, you absolutely can. She said, well, I had an argument with him. She said, and he turned and punched the wall really hard. She said, and it just really traumatised me. And she started to tell me about the physical and sexual abuse she'd had in her life from males. And she said, it just sent me right back there because all I saw was this big man behaving in a threatening manner towards me. And that, for me, is just totally unacceptable. These women can't get away. They can't, they can't escape to a refuge. Um, they can't just walk away. They can't go home to their families. The only people they have to protect them are the prison authorities. And the prison authorities, uh, as a proxy arm of the government, are letting them down. How do you feel staff who are having to implement... Um, the facilitating of this gaslighting of women, really vulnerable women, that that staff will care. I imagine they care a lot. About they care how do they feel? Well, there's very few um, staff who actually support this. Um, so apart from their genuine concern and empathy for the women, um, young female staff don't want to do strip searches on fully intact males. Older men, male officers in their 40s and so on, don't want to do strip searches on female-bodied people who might be the same age as their daughter. Prison staff don't want to do that. Prison staff aren't other. They're the same as you and me. You know, they're just ordinary people trying to do a good job. They're horrified by what they see. 
and not all of them. There are some who support all this as well, but the majority are horrified, but they can't speak out either. They're civil servants. They're working in a in a really strong hierarchy and they, they work in a place where dissent is not encouraged. Yeah. So it's, it's nigh on impossible for staff to... Um, to speak up. And to be honest, I'm really disappointed in the, the, the prison unions. They're, they're very strong unions. They're very left-wing unions. And they have been shamefully silent on this. They are not standing up for their members. Individual individual reps are, uh, individual um, prison officers association reps are, but the overall hierarchy is not stepping up to the plate in this, and it's extremely disappointing. It but is. then if you look at the kind of motions getting discussed and passed at TUC conference, it's not surprising. No, I think that when these motions are brought to organisations, whether it's unions or political parties, um, I think it's um, part of a sort of coordinated effort to get in there first yeah. with an awareness that a lot of people um, who work within the unions, who are within the hierarchies of councils or political parties or whatever, they're just not, they're either not up to date on how far this has already gone and what the implications mm -hmm. are for women, or they don't care enough about women, particularly working class women, to mm -hmm. it to to face up to being called mean they'd, they'd rather they'd rather be called kind than, than actually care about the most vulnerable women in society and to me right. I mean it's I think hor it's horrifying it's like it's like a lot of in issues that a lot of people see as fringe issues so the the the, the narrative is constructed and driven by a few ideologues and because they are kind of come from the left, people are like, oh, well, this must be the progressive thing to do. It must be the right thing yeah. to do. It's the yeah. kind, it's the compassionate. And a lot of people think back to where they were around Section 28. They think, oh, we don't want that horror again. And a lot of people on the left didn't cover themselves in glory over Section 28. And they don't want to get it wrong again. But this is wrongly compared to Section 28. And I was around for that. Um, I'm gay myself. Um, I marched against Section 28 and all that kind of thing. This is not like that. Um, gay people wanted to be themselves. They didn't want to be somebody else. And they didn't want to erode someone else's rights in order to get theirs. This is not an equality issue. It's no. not an equality issue. It's about one set of people trying to identify into the rights of another set of people. It's absolutely bizarre that people can't see the difference. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, I don't know if you've heard this, but I have heard this as well. A lot of people within politics say they don't want to get involved in this debate because it's something that's just a distraction from the real issues, if you know what I mean. Well, if this, if this, the impact this is having on working class women isn't a real central upfront yeah. emergency issue for mm -hmm. you you're no socialist as far as i'm concerned it's not no, possible. I, I, I completely agree with you and i think it comes down to the fact that the higher echelons of most political parties are still dominated by largely white men and white middle class women now mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not rubbishing middle class people we can't help how you're born do you know what i mean and there's been fantastic middle class socialists i don't mean that but if you're as i said earlier if you're never going to be in a position where you can't escape this, it mm. really doesn't matter to you the no. way that it does to, to to other people. And it's not it's not 
very it doesn't it's not a good look i don't think to take notice of one set of statistics that are thrown at you without a checking the validity of them first of all and without b being prepared to listen to and care about the other set of statistics in this whole equation which are the ones that are around women and women's vulnerability i see somebody's brought up a statistic in the chat there so you're quite right um when an foi was done to the moj in england and wales asking out about the proportion of sex offending among the trans population in prisons is 60% of trans prisoners um, were sex offenders. Now, I, I think that's probably a little bit high for various reasons. I would say it's certainly in excess of 45%. That compares to about 18% of the general male population and about 2% of the female population, but it's 45 to 60% in the yeah. trans population. Now, I don't actually believe that trans people are any more likely to be sex offenders than anybody else. I believe this is where Stonewall's own silly argument is, is, is tripping them up yeah. because they don't allow debate. It's acceptance without exception. So if anybody, no matter how heinous their crimes or who they are, says they're trans, we've to pretend that they are. And it's mm -hmm. an utter insult to people yeah. who genuinely have gender dysphoria yeah. that anybody can get lumped in with them. Yeah, because with those statistics, there's only one of two things that can be happening. Either there is a higher incidence within that that's cohort within society, which we don't think that that's the case, or um, there's people taking advantage of this already exactly. to exactly. access vulnerable women, you know, yeah. which why wouldn't they? Because men yeah. who wanted to gain access to vulnerable children or to mm -hmm. abuse women have always known, they've always yeah. been able to work out the different ways to do that and to gain that access. Oh, of course. I mean, there was a, a notorious incident in the Scottish Parliament last year where Shona Robertson, who's the minister there that's pushing this through, rubbished claims like that because she said men have never had to pretend to be something else to get at women and that's that's, that's astounding you know, it's that's just astounding. it's just ludicrous uh, men have since time immemorial pretended to be different things to get at women yes some of them don't have to because of male privilege they can just be straight up males and do it but the mm. point is um, sexual predators will use any route they can because they're manipulative chancers and they'll use any route they can to, to, to get to places where women are vulnerable. And, you know, the whole thing reminds me a lot of the, the sex abuse scandals and the utter scandals in children's homes. Again, mostly working class children who were shut away uh, at the mercy of predator males and not believed. And it's the same around women in prison. We're shutting them away with people who will damage their physical, sexual, and sometimes it, just, I don't mean just, but it might not be physical, sexual, but emotional well-being, and then we're telling them to shut up. Yeah, you know, it's, and this, it's, this isn't news. Most, it's not no. news to us, is it? We all, we all are aware of this. And really, you know, the Ministry of Justice of all people should be more than well aware of this, mm -hmm. of this risk. Um, and I can't, when I think about... The fact that, you know, most of the women are, who are in prison, they're there because I think it's an inner majority or at least half of the cases. It's because they've been coerced into offending in the first place in order to support someone else's drug habit or whatever. And it's usually a, a male partner. Um, you know, how, how how we can just forget that, how we can just ignore that to me. It's when I think about being a woman, 
I mean, because I, you know, I was a, I was a low income woman. I had my first child when I was sixteen. I lived in a bedsit in Birkenhead. You know, I had nothing, and all of the women around me were in the same situation, and they had nothing as well. It's very, very easy to end up on that path with a dodgy partner. You know, and and you think I can't imagine being in a situation where you've been through domestic abuse or child sexual abuse or whatever it is, maybe multiple times, and you end up trapped in a situation where you're imprisoned. Maybe you've lost your children. Uh, for the time being while you're in prison you're in deep trauma and fear and then being forced into a situation where you have to be around male-bodied yes, yes. people and you have nowhere to run you have no it makes it. me feel like i can't breathe to think about this it's, and I can't, it's, yeah it's a shocker because we're talking more and more about being trauma informed in all different walks of life including in in, in prisons and um when I was uh, governor in charge of Cottonvale, I was also in charge of the redevelopment of the women's estate. And we were working really hard around minimising trauma for women coming into prison. Um, but this is trauma blind, this mm. this policy, you know, or, or it's it's trauma deaf, you know, and I, I do apologise for using ableist terms, but yeah. it's actually people going la, 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 you yes. know what I mean, to the trauma yeah. that, that women suffer. And that's yeah. why I was saying I think about 80% of... Um, women in prison have suffered sexual violence. I see somebody coming up there with 95% of female prisoners are there for petty crime yeah. and benefits. Yeah. Uh, that, there's some truth in that. Um, I think that we have to point out the difference here between incidence and prevalence. So mm. um, 95% of women who come into prison might be there for things that could be dealt with in the community. But at any one time, that's not true of the static prison population because... Mm. There are, there are only, in Scotland, there are only 360 women in prison at any one time. That's probably about 1,500 come and go in the course of the year. So, in right. fact, um, about half of the women in prison at any one time are there for longer term sentences of um, four years or more. So, it's not quite true that it's 95% of women who are there, but whatever figure you want to put on it, percentage yeah. of women yeah. who come into prison, that, that would be true. And it's also true, isn't it? I've read up a little bit about this, that women who are sentenced, usually it's a shock to them because they've done something like, you know, benefit fraud to try and make ends meet or whatever it is, acquisitive crime rather than something violent and heinous. Um, and they get sentenced more harshly for smaller offences than men do still within the courts. It's, um, I think that's, I think that has become less true uh, over over the years, it's certainly true that women are more generally in prison for acquisitive crime than, than violent crime. That's and absolutely always will be because it mirrors society in general, where we know that about ninety five percent of all violent crime is carried out by men. So that that's obviously going to be the case. Um, so yeah, I mean, women's prisons are very different places to male prisons. They're incredibly sad places um, with poor poor souls that. It shouldn't be anywhere near a prison, you know. And I mean, for all I agree with care in the community and not locking people up in institutions, the problem was that when we shut down long-term institutions, we didn't fund care in the community. Mm. So an awful lot of wee souls, they are wee souls that come in and out of prison, um, come in because there's nowhere else for them to be. And they actually want, this sounds terrible, a lot of them want to be in prison because they're looked yeah. after, they get three meals, they've got folk to talk to, they've got health care. That's an utter national disgrace that we're mm -hmm. doing that to vulnerable people. There should be safe, welcome and warm places for these poor folk to go. Well, 
I have to hand over to Sean now because we need to see. I've got more questions. I've got so many more questions, but we need to go out to our chat room. Yeah, or, or maybe this is some of the debate that we can uh, we can carry on uh, later date. Um, but uh, we've got loads of questions and comments coming through, and we've also got a lot of new people on the channel tonight. So. If you are new here, please help our channel to grow by clicking on the like button and subscribe, click on the notification bell. Leave us a comment that also helps with the algorithms and helps us to get out to a wider audience. Um, so let's go back to, uh, oh, there's so many, this is such a, this is really unusual to have so many comments and uh, questions. Shenzo uh, Miaozo, Shen Miaozo, um, says, quote, that's a woman and, quote, that's a person who wishes to be thought of as a woman are not synonymous. The left has been tricked into thinking it's progressive to encourage delusional thinking. Um, I suppose the question on that is, do you think it is delusional thinking? Mm. Uh, I personally do. And that's not to that's not to put anybody down. Um, I think for the people who are genuine, as I say, who have genuine gender dysphoria or young people who've been oh, talked into believing they are the other sex i wouldn't i don't want i don't care i don't want to stop anybody saying uh, or identifying as this or that i just don't want it to have any legal status and i certainly don't want it to have legal status where it tramples on other people's rights so as far as i'm concerned people who identify as trans should have the same rights to housing education work benefits all of these things healthcare. none of these things should be any different for anybody but it has to stop at the point where it begins to trample on other people's rights. Also at the point where you get into the realms of the denial of science, the suppression of free speech, the othering of people who have a different point of view. I mean, I'm, I'm appalled that the left has become so totalitarian in this respect. I mean, they're not a kick in the shut off fascists the way they behave, shutting down debate, trying to get people chucked out of their jobs, threatening people. That's the tactics of the Stasi, not the left. But that that's appallingly what's happening. To, to my mind, I mean, I'm rant. It's a great platform for me. I can rant and rave here, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the way I see it, having been at the kind of sharp end of this for the past you know, five years or so. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, some of these names, they are real tongue twisters, so bear <laughs> with me. Um, Sissy G Sparkle says TVM for this. I don't know what TVM means. All power to you. It's a cruel and unusual punishment for women to be incarcerated um, with men. Um, uh, Elizabeth uh, Fry would turn in her grave, but would also uh, would be so proud of you for fighting back. Um, sorry, I've had to change that word because YouTube bans us for saying certain words. Uh, Judith Wright says uh, trans identified men are at risk from other men. This has nothing to do with women men need to sort out these problems in their own spaces do you do you think do you, um do you think that that's right that men need to sort out these problems well, absolutely men have been trying to get women to shoulder the responsibility for male violence forever you know saying it's women's fault it's mother's fault it's blah 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 just another way of blaming women and i i've, I've seen men say no this is our problem we need to sort this out we need to make sure that trans identified males feel safe in men's toilets because they're still men and in fact, I'm not sure that there's an awful lot of evidence that they're not. I mean, there must be. There must be some risk. I, I don't doubt that. But it's... And, and the, the bizarre thing is that... Um, so we have to believe that trans women are at risk from other men 
but women aren't at risk from people who are essentially male. It is the most perverse reversal of logic around. But yes, I do agree. I think this is men's problem to sort out because trans-identified women are at no risk from women. Do you know what I mean? If a, if a, a, a trans-identified woman's very welcome to share a woman's space because, to my mind, they're still a woman. Um, Lizzie says um, it's very worrying, like the common belief that if you want to abuse young boys, you become a priest, um, a young or young children in general, uh, a PE teacher. Um, not quite sure what she's referring to there. I think she's talking about the uh, the tropes or the stereotypes given to people. Yeah. Um, Miaozo, um comes back. Uh, this debate is always centered on trans identified males. There is no push uh, for trans-identified females in male prisons or sports yeah. spaces. The trans rights movement is primarily a men's rights movement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to agree with that. And you've mentioned there um, about uh, trans-identified females competing in male sports. Well, it's just a joke. Everybody knows that women who identify as males will get absolutely nowhere in male sports because it's about biology and it's about retained uh, muscle strength and, and um, oxygen carrying capacity, even after testosterone has been lowered. By the way, it's very, very rarely lowered to the, the levels that women have. And thank God for athletes speaking up like Sharon Davis and Martina Navratilova and Daley Thompson actually having the guts to come out and challenge this nonsense. And to the, the World Rugby Union for saying, nope, no, we can't have this. We cannot. Somebody's going to die, basically, because of the much superior strength of males. But you're absolutely right. It's a it's a men's rights movement, and I suspect that's why a lot of men in the left don't really give a toss about it, you know, or or are actively using it as a platform for their own misogyny. Um, Giddy Group says, uh, "Isn't there a high percentage of trans-identifying women wanting?" In the in the women's on the in wanting in on the women's estate with prison sentences, with um, histories of sexual or violent assault against women. Yes, yes, that, that's what we were saying. Up to somewhere up to sixty percent of those who identify as women but are actually men have histories of sexual violence against women and children. It's really really high, and that's what we're facing. Um, been put in beside women and been put in beside young women as well. I mean, there's hardly any 16 or 17-year-old females in prison, but there's a lot of 18-year-olds and so on. And if you think about how vulnerable these women are, um, and you're absolutely right to the point to the number who have um, an acquired brain injury or learning disability or fetal alcohol syndrome. So these are very, very vulnerable women who should, for those purposes, be treated as if they were um, younger than they are. I don't mean that in a condescending way, but in terms of safeguarding them, yeah, the state the state is letting these young women down badly. Can I just pick up with something there as well, Rona? You'd mentioned previously in one of your other talks about women um, tend to be befriended by men who are imprisoned alongside them. And, you know, that's what they'll do. They'll say, we'll get keep in touch so that the men can access their uh, children when they get out of prison. That's something else that's come up. Um, it's not. Uh, it, I don't think that was me, Mandy. But yes, that that's right. true because um, contrary to what Shona Robertson says, it's just another vehicle that men will use to target women. And we know, for example, that predatory men go through the singles ads looking for ones that specifically say women have got children. 
And the more vulnerable a woman is, the easier it is to get them to fall for that kind of baloney. So, yeah, that, I mean, that will happen. It will happen. And I believe that there's one organisation that used to stand up for the rights of women in prison who thinks the answer to all of this is just to have better sex education and um, protection for women in prison. And that's that's their response to all, is um, put them on the pill. Put it on women again. Yeah, oh, aye, aye, it yeah. will be. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It wasn't. It wasn't you. It was Anne. It was Anne. Somebody who said it. Who's an ex-prison officer that spoke up at a standing for women event. Anne Rizzo. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. Yeah, Anne's an yeah. ex-prison officer and I think an ex-probation officer. There's a few really good criminologists speaking out on this. So you've got Joe Phoenix at Reading okay. University, who's excellent. Uh, Richard Garcia, who edits a criminology journal. So there are criminologists out there who are saying, no, this is just totally wrong. But they're they're few and far between. Um, Rona, um, we've got um, a question for you from Judith Wright um, that I, I did promise I would ask you. Uh, she says, can Rona say something about the different ways that male prisoners are assessed for potential violent behaviour, depending on whether they have a gender recognition certificate or not? So um, in Scotland, they don't differentiate between GRCs or not. And as we know, in England, they just send them to the female estate if they've got a GRC. The difficulty is that there are no currently no programmes for women who are serious violent offenders. So if someone is a GRC, they're treated as a woman, it means they will not be put into a programme for serious and violent offenders because they're a woman and there's no programmes for women. So it's a really easy way for men who are serious and violent offenders to avoid addressing their issues. And I think that's that once um, men realise that, once they can self-ID in Scotland, that's exactly what they'll do because they'll be opting out of some of those really tough confrontational programmes. Um, so the, the person asking the question was alluding to the fact that the, the processes are different for assessing male and female violence, and they are, because there are so few truly violent female prisoners. Um, whereas um, seriously violent males are quite common in the population. But if you've got a GRC, you'll be able to avoid it. Um, Shenzo uh, Miao came back again and said, um, there's a massive social cultural element to this. Why are exponentially more people identifying as trans in the last several years? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have spoken about a kind of social contagion type thing. And you're hearing stories of... Um, I don't know what you call it in, in England, primary school, you know, um, four, five, six, seven, not not that young maybe, but seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old um, pupils where their whole friends group has decided that they're trans or non-binary or something. So it's just become, it's become a thing, hasn't it, among young people? But unlike most things in the past where adults would just go, no, oh, aye, aye, that's fine. They're all going, oh, yes, no, you are, you are. We've, to, we've all to affirm this immediately. It's Again, it's another bizarre thing. If a young person with anorexia comes on to YouTube or whatever and says, I'm really fat. The adults all don't all go, yeah, yeah, fat. You know, so but they're doing it with they're doing it with um children who say, Oh, I'm in, I'm born in the wrong body, I'm the other sex. Yes, you are. It's just it's outrageous and stupid. There's also a really worrying thing underpinning it, and it's a return to extreme gender stereotyping that all feminists will recognise. We thought we had moved away from this in the 90s and the in the noughties, you know, the idea that a woman that looks like me is, is is probably a frustrated man, or you grow up like me liking football and hating dresses and all this kind of carry on. 
nowadays, those traits are seen as being evidence of the fact that you might be transgender. Instead of celebrating gender nonconformity, we're now saying it's something else. And again, it's just another way of putting women in particular in straitjackets and saying in order to be a woman, you have to look like that and you have to do that job and like those things and wear that makeup and have those attitudes and behaviours. It's another straitjacket that's being put on women. Um, we're just at the top of the hour now, so I've got time for just one more question. I'm so sorry to all the questions that we haven't been able to get through tonight. I'm just going to finally finish on this one because it is a specialist question for Rona. Um, and it's, it's from Lizzie. Um, she says, within the trans population, how many prisoners are there in proportion uh, to general population? Yeah, so the numbers are still really small, Lizzie. It's it's tiny, but it's growing. And it's growing. When I started in the prison service, in my first um, six years there, I knew of one trans prisoner. When I left um, in 2019, there were 23 in the Scottish prison service. So it's just grown beyond belief. Now, that's a tiny, tiny proportion of the overall um, prison population. But it's, um, it's slightly higher than in the general population. But watch this grow in the next few years as men in prison realise what a wheeze this will be. That all they have to do is say they're female and three months later the law will say, yes, you are. So I predict that there will soon be as many trans women in the female estate as there are actual women. And is there anybody keeping an eye on this, Rona? Is 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 the government keeping data and statistics yes. on this? Yeah, all all of the UK governments do. So the Scottish Prison Service actually now releases that data. I think every three months to see how many trans people are in the prison population. I don't think the MOJ releases it, but they will do it on FOI. Um, so they are. But the difficulty, of course, will be with gender self ID. Not in England yet, but with gender self ID in Scotland, and if it comes in in England. Um, it's unclear as to whether prison authorities will even know if someone is transgender or be able to ask them if they're transgender. Of course, you know, you know about 95% of the time, but you won't be able to ask and won't be able to ask to see a gender recognition certificate. And that's an area of the law that's really, really grey. So it might be very difficult in the future to collect that kind of data. OK, thanks, Rona. Well, um, before we leave, I just want to give you the last word, Rona. Is there anything else that you would like to add to this? Yeah, bombard your MPs and your local politicians with complaints about this. Don't let them off the hook, because too often you hear politicians saying, oh, I went round the doors and nobody raised this. Well, start bloody raising it, because this really, really matters to working class women in particular. Please don't let them down. Oh, thank you so much. And Mandy, is there anything you'd like to finish with? Uh, yeah, not much else to add to that. Just to say a shout out to Alison Bailey. Amazing uh, victory in court today. It's not all bad news. That That's fantastic. She's successfully taken her employer to court for discrimination. Is that right? I said that right. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. Great. Thanks so much, Mandy. Um, you've been an amazing host. Um, hopefully you'll come back and do some more hosting for us in the future. Um, I hope you've enjoyed doing it tonight. And uh, Once again, thank you to Rona. Thank you to Mandy. And thank you for, for all of you out there who joined in with the chat and the debate. We can continue down in the comments. Um, we can continue this debate on. Um, so thank you very much. And we'll see you next week.